O God, who instructs the hearts of your faithful by the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to be truly wise and to live as your people. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you like musicals as much as I do, but I was fed a steady diet of them while I was still too young to even read, so it's in my blood. In the musical, The King and I, a widowed mother and her young son travel from England to a foreign country where she will be the governess of the king's household. She shares her Bible with the king who pours over its pages with great diligence. He comes across a passage that does not equate with science, and he brings it to her attention, triumphant in finding an error in the book she values so highly. And she responds, but it is not a book of science. It is a book of faith. Our Holy Bible, filled with prophecy, history, allegories, and wisdom is a remarkable record of the interactions of God with humanity, first preserved in oral tradition and later in written form. And that is what I remembered last Sunday evening as I began the initial preparations for this Sunday's sermon. As you may recall, last week we were in the Gospel of John where Andrew introduces his brother Peter to Jesus. This week in the Gospel of Matthew, they are called together from a boat. When I recognized this inconsistency, I texted a friend and said, last week I should have preached from Isaiah. (laughs) Then I might not have noticed and maybe neither would anyone else because after all, we don't retain everything we see, hear, or read. But as your priest, I have vowed to do, and I I have vowed that I do believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the Word of God, and that I would be diligent in the reading and study of Scriptures to the end that we would make known the reconciling love of Christ. I don't get to discard any of it. It is much too precious. Coming from a background where every word and punctuation mark had to be exact, or it was a challenge to the value of scripture, I lived through and regretfully participated in twisting scripture to make it all fit neatly into the very limited understanding I had about God and the sacred book. Never, never again. Because I am not ashamed of the gospel or where it presents difficulties. There are times when it is easy, and times when I wrestle, and I will always be honest with you about it. And then you will also know that it is safe to hold sacred a book that is sometimes easy, sometimes difficult, and sometimes makes you wrestle. There is a place for questions in our walk with God, within our community, For the Bible, although it speaks for itself and it speaks over time, it speaks across cultures and circumstances where various truths are highlighted over others. And part of the gift of the Anglican and Episcopal tradition is that we have common worship even when we don't have a common understanding. 
And within the space of love and grace, this is how I have come to live with the inconsistencies. And I offer it to you in case you should run across some inconsistencies in scripture. The Holy Bible is not a book of science or history or psychology or biology or anything of the sort. It is a book of faith. It is a book of love. These God-inspired texts share the deep abiding interactions between God and humanity as humans understand and best record, best interpreted within the community of the church, advised by tradition, reason, and the ongoing guidance of the Holy Spirit. Our faith is guided by the written word, which the BCP notes contains all things necessary for salvation. And it is profitable, according to the New Testament, for doctrine, admonition, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And still we are sustained by the living word, Christ our Lord. So we hold these two gospel accounts in tension. Last week, we focused on John's gospel, the value of sharing the good news with others in speaking out and in service, and of sharing the welcome of Christ with other people. This week, we find new richness in the way Jesus calls Andrew and Peter and James and John to himself in the gospel of Matthew. Peter and Andrew, James and John were called in the middle of fishing. They all left their nets and began to walk in the way of Jesus. They formed a new community that they maintained until they died, even through food insecurities, infighting, denials, and loss. There are many, many ways we are called to follow Jesus, and each story is unique, though similarities may abound. For some, the journey is straightforward, others winding, some drawn by the natural rhythm of a familiar community or a desire for something new. There may be a vague internal desire for something more or a clear passion for a richer spiritual life. But it began when Jesus saw them. And that seeing that Jesus did isn't simply a glance, isn't a wandering look across the sea and seeing people in a boat. This seeing, when Jesus saw them, is deeper. It's a perception. It's an internal knowing. It's like when you go across a woods and you just see how beautiful it is, and then suddenly you hone on that little butterfly on a delicate flower. And you pause for a moment and you thank God for the beauty of all creation. That's the kind of perception Jesus saw when he saw those four men who were fishing. And once Jesus saw them, he called them. They mattered to Jesus. And in the same way, Jesus perceives each one of us. He sees us as individuals. He notices us. He understands the inner workings of our hearts. And he calls us by name. He calls us to himself to follow him. And then we have the opportunity to respond. According to the gospel, they immediately left their nets. Something stirred within them, and they moved toward Jesus, the one who saw and called them. For some of us, it's immediate, but for most of us, it takes a bit of time, and yet we are here, because the call isn't a simple single call. 
It's more a drawing into. And so they followed Jesus, as we have chosen to do. Like Peter and Andrew, some of us are called to follow Jesus into a life where all they once knew and the relationships they held dear are left behind. One group today with such a call are those who are called to spiritual vocations in religious communities, whether cloistered, monastic, or dispersed. These are people who often take vows or create rules of life that guide how they would serve the world. There is a beautiful prayer or collect for religious communities and vocations that state, O Lord Jesus Christ, you became poor for our sake, that we might be made rich through your poverty. Guide and sanctify, we pray, those whom you call to follow you under the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, that by their prayer and service they may enrich your church, and by their life and worship may glorify your name. For you reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. This beautiful prayer is the prayer today for those called to religious communities and vocations. After church, we will have an adult forum where this is more broadly explained and shared with us. For those who may be called to such vocation or may have some stirring that you may not yet know, I specifically invite you to take the time. And for those of us who perhaps don't feel as such, I invite you to come that you may pray for those that do and for those who are so called. For many of us, we are called to maintain the life that we have, but to do it in a way that follows Jesus and proclaims the good news to the world. Like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we may not all be called to leave our nets, to leave our families, but however and wherever we're called, my prayer is that we will follow Jesus.